Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Composite Mind, a podcast about creativity, inspiration, where we find it and how we hold on to it. Produced by Roughhouse Theatre and presented by me, Shane Morgan. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Composite Mind with me, Shane Morgan. As individual practitioners, Tori Allen Martin and Sarah Henley have forged for themselves pretty remarkable careers. Together, however, they are an absolute force of nature. At the beginning of 2020, they launched Burn Bright. If you're not familiar with them as a company or why Burn Bright exists, then head over to www.burnbright.org.uk to get the full story. This year in lockdown, which is their first year as a company, they produced three seasons of Better in Person, established Time Bank, an initiative that connects writers who identify as women with industry professionals. They ran panels, they've established mentorships, and in my opinion, they have placed themselves front and centre as the change the creative industry needs. Enjoy episode four of The Composite Mind with Tori Allen Martin and Sarah Henley. I'll hand over to them and I'll check in with you at the end. It was just, am I right in saying that it was just before the pandemic hit that Burnbright consolidated and started its journey? We launched it after lockdown, I think, didn't we, Sarah? You have to talk on a podcast. <laughs> she's nodding. She's nodding. She's she's missed the concept there. <laughs> so again, I was going to sneeze, and I, my sneeze is like a big loud squeak. <laughs> so you're not going to want that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we started after the the pandemic, um, literally during it, because we had all these big plans, and we wanted a big launch party and live events and the thought of just shutting it all down felt too sad so it then became you know some of it we could do online at the time bank and um the resources and all of that that was kind of virtual anyway and then it it that felt like it was a perfect fit and then we just started thinking outside the box on what what else we could do in terms of you know theatrical events you were pretty much well ahead of the curve as far as online theatrical events embracing the concept of zoom i'm i'm right in thinking that aren't i you, you I, I can't think of anyone who specifically embraced zoom as a concept for communication um it, within a theatrical uh, environment because you're better in person you're now on number three how has the response to that hit you how have you how have you sort of responded to the really positive feedback you've had from your previous better in-persons to then go on and do the next one. Well, back to the bit about we going sort of early on the Zoom front. I think we did. Um, I think what we saw was a lot of people panicking and trying to do theatre online, but in a more traditional way. And and, um, I definitely kept getting invited to Shakespeare readings of which was like a big uh, Zoom call full of actors reading Shakespeare. And I think me and Tor were just like, this isn't us. We can't do this because um, it felt like a worse version of theatre, basically. Mm. So we were like, is there a way that we can do something that 
embraces the medium and is actually designed for the medium. And I'd been doing quite a lot of comedy in my other life. I run a comedy company and we'd been doing quite a lot of comedy gigs that were designed, especially for Zoom and, um, you know, bringing the audience in and stuff. So I think that was where that came from. We just really didn't want to do a worse version of the thing that we loved because we found it a bit too depressing. And in terms of the response, we've been really overwhelmed, really, haven't we, Tor? Yeah, I don't, I, you, you just always put these things on in, in hope. I think, you know, you can never know. And obviously we're such a baby company and I don't think also because of the lockdown, you know, we were having conversations about what had happened with the people it happened with up until like end of October, November. So, and then, you know, we both had big personal events happen. Then the lockdown happened. So like our feet didn't even touch the ground really. And we've still not kind of sat there and gone, what the F was all of that? (laughs) So it has just been sort of like just going with it. And then we're like, what can we do now? And people need stuff. And and it was Sarah suggested it, you know, floated that idea about I want to do something that's for that medium, that it that is specifically for that, rather than something that would be better somewhere else. And I just love that. And I've I guess that's testament to how we are. We just try and be the change that we want to see. But when you're doing that you're always a bit shocked that anyone likes it, I think, because you always feel like you're the black sheep and you're a bit random. So when people give you nice feedback, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> it worked. But I think by the time it happens, we're always on to the next thing. So we don't really, um, we probably need to celebrate more and go, that went well, but we, do, we genuinely don't ever do that. We're just like, what's next? I think that with the pandemic, things that have been missed are those markers in time. So we yeah. haven't been thinking to have a drink and say well done to each other for anything or like those markers and celebrations have been missed. So I think we do a big one. Because you mentioned the, you know, the the Shakespeare readings and the and and you know all the very earnest. Let's still get together and let's read and let's be a community and that that's great. But it was yeah, fab. It, yeah, and it, and it works. And obviously, you know, as a creative industry and as a community, there's nothing better than making sure that you're still doing what you love and what you trained for. But then to sit and watch a, a production online where people are cooking and dating and trying to communicate with their parents and you know whatever the whatever the situation or whatever the 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 reason that they're having that transaction is it just made sense how much are you going to keep once we're allowed to be face to face and once we're actually allowed to be in person how much of that online life are you still going to keep if any I think it's I mean, obviously, you know, the time bank and everything, as I said, does work so well online, being able to just interact and, you know, people don't have to pay the travel cost to get there. But I think for us, it's more, I mean, Sarah does a lot of work with the digital world anyway, with her comedy platform. So she's always quite ahead of, of the curve, like in terms of me from that, because her mind's there and thinking about that. So it's great to have that because Sarah's often like, we could do it this way in a way that I wouldn't be aware. So I think there'll always be an element of that because it's so brilliant that you get to reach more places and more people and more homes and financially it's better for people. But I think we also want to build on it. So we're thinking about maybe when the world does open up a bit more, writing part twos of some of the better in-person plays that you saw online. So, you know, commissioning writers to carry on that story and doing that live. So I think it's, yeah, it's probably for us, it's just about constantly growing and evolving, not cutting anything out, but seeing how we can just keep the story going, really, I guess. Is that right, Sarah? 
Yeah, I think the, one of the best things that's come out of this pandemic is accessibility and the ability mm. for people from not just even in the UK, but from around the world to be, have a shared experience. And I think that's something we, we don't want to lose. I think we've had, yeah, people from all over the country logging into the Connect events. And and I think, you know, as an arts community, we can be a bit London centric yeah. and uh, it's ex- it's a bit exclusive. And I think the more we can keep online as an aspect, the better um, but yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to see some people and hug them? Have you had any international input or, or intake from productions that you've put online or any of the industry um, moments that you've had online? Don't think we've gone international yet. Might have had a couple of people in America watching. Yeah, we did. And we also, we've also had quite a lot of time bankers from Ireland. Yeah, so we've... That counts yeah. As well, that's international. Yeah. Yeah. It could, yeah, we got invited to go to New York or somewhere right after the tree stuff, but we were too traumatised and then the lockdown happened. So there was some, yeah, we have had contact with people in America and people in America seem to know stuff about it. I think things went in the New York Times and stuff, which is quite scary. But I, I mean, that's still, we're definitely open to it, but we still need that reach. You know, we're still so, we're still a baby company. So not quite is- international yet. But who knows? What's well, who knows? Well, there's still time. <laughs> How much has your MO as a company changed since the pandemic? Because obviously the origins of Burn Bright very well documented. And if anyone doesn't know, they need to do a deep dive into Google and see exactly why Burn Bright exists. Has your ethos or your MO changed in any way since the pandemic? Have you broadened? Have you really decided to uh, do a tight focus on something? How has your thinking changed as a company, if at all? I think it's galvanised us in our sort... I think being at home and being online has meant that we have been able to have a bit more of a laser-sharp focus and not have all these ideas, you know, we... I think me and Tor both have a lot of ideas and sometimes the the message can get a bit woolly because of that. And I think the idea that we've been locked in has meant that we've been very sort of clear in our messaging and we've been very specifically for women identifying writers and boosting them up the tree. And I think it's also galvanised us in our belief in diversity. And obviously that's such a buzzword at the minute, but it's been something that Tor and I have had in our work since day and it's really important to us and I think that seeing what we're doing versus other other imagery for other shows that come out makes us realize oh my goodness there still is such a uh, there still is such a gap and so I think it's galvanized us in our mission to help women identify writers and level the playing field in a big way and and having sort of condensed that message and that ethos it'll be great to be able to take that out but in a way it's helped us focus I think would you agree at all yeah totally and I think it does it's like anything if you're faced with a challenge it, it it can make you be better you know if if you're just and if the world was just open and everyone's doing their stuff and you can get scared and it can all feel a bit scary and big and wild and I think when you bring it right down to basics and you're like okay what what can we actually do yeah, it keeps you really focused and 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 yeah, you yeah, you just you peel it back, don't you, to, to what, what really matters. What does the industry need once doors start to open again? And from your perspectives, what does the industry need to do? And it's one of my bugbears at the moment. I hate hearing well when we get back to normal. I, I don't want normal because normal is where wow. we are 
there is the reason why we're here where we are now when the doors reopen and people walk back in through foyers into auditoriums what do theatres need to do differently in order to allow us to move forward they need to program women full stop 50 50 we're half the population stop doing panels program women writers gatekeepers need to come from every walk of life and every aspect because part of the problem is women send their plays in and because they're not relatable to the white male gatekeepers they don't get a second look at so that needs looking at and then accessibility and all of the all of the um, strides we've made since lockdown in terms of streaming need to be maintained I think so that like the National Theatre in London isn't just for people who live in London or can pay a you know an extortionate train fare to get down there I think it should be available to all so those would be my three things 50-50 and then obviously minority and groups as well and then female and gatekeepers from all over the place as well as streaming and accessibility that's what I'd do sorry what would you do I'm not I'm not as concise as Sarah (laughs) (laughs) we don't we don't need concise we just need we we need something I'm the ranty wangy on one um I'd yeah I mean I think the massive thing is it starts at the top and it has to trickle its way down so if you have a bunch of gatekeepers that are all white straight middle-aged men middle-class men they're not going to look at a story that I've written and and feel that it's anything other than a risk because they don't recognize it and it's like even now when we do get plays by women it's like one kind of woman that I'm seeing all of the time you know being the prevalent voice and I'm like there's so many so I think it just comes from that if you have a diverse group of people making decisions you're going to get diverse work and it's it's that simple and our only when we commission women writers our only sort of guide for them is is write a version of you so write your experience that's what we want to hear in it so if you've then got five women from completely different backgrounds and that's the one pointer that you give them you end up having this really interesting diverse range of plays like it's really simple so I don't understand why we're in this situation and I do feel like you know if the gatekeepers aren't aren't willing to open up then they need to stand down and we need a complete rework of the people at the top um but I do it's it's really when I look at our lineups sometimes we do have to work a little bit harder we do to find someone specific or to not just cast our mates, which is hard too, because you want to cast your mates, it's hard for everyone, you know, and I'm often like, oh, my mate would be great for this person, but I'm literally like, no, we need we need a black person in that role because we don't have enough. And that's not always the most comfortable thing for people, but it's what we have to do. We have to kick ne- nepotism out the door for a minute and do what's right and allow as many people as possible to feel seen and heard and understood because that's a basic human right. And the more kids see that, And it's not just, you know, it's also a class thing. There's so much to it. But it's like if you see a fat black woman from Peckham with a disability and you are that little girl with that, but she's on the front of that poster and she's you're going to think there's room for you. And so the diverse stories keep coming and the opportunities keep coming. So it's it's literally got to start at the top so it can trickle down to the bottom and the doors have got to be open. Like I'm just sick of having to, if I do get invited in, I've got to build my own table and my own chair and make my own food and then clean up after everyone. That's the other thing. Don't let people in 
to tick a box and then send them on their merry way, let them in and actually give them opportunities and open the doors and pay them to be there. So yeah, I could go on all day, but we've got to come back better and kinder as well. I think we've got to be kinder and pay more respect to each other because there's a lot of that as well. People just getting cast aside or not updated or it's treated like you're disposable when the stories come from these voices, like how, how are, they're the least disposable people there surely, but everyone cares about money. Like estate yeah. agents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring my personal struggles back into the story. Well, well, yeah, we're going to have to do a second part where we uh, where we focus on, um, yeah, we're going to have like a prequel why we're focusing on estate agents now. Um, yeah. But the but the the problem the problem is, and I get so you see I don't want to see my story. That's the problem. I and I get so bored. <laughs> I love the theatre and I love going to the theatre, but I don't go more often than not, because I am so bored of my story. I know what my story is and I know what my story has been for millennia and I'm not interested in that. And the problem with the gatekeepers in my mind and the problem with this concept of opening it up, opening the table up, is that the table is still, at the head of the table, is still the middle-aged white guy. So until the table is completely empty and then a new intake at the table happens, that change is still going to be facilitated by the middle-aged white guy. And until that stops, I, I just and th- this is my endless frustration, and it will it will be so for you know for as long as it takes. But that wasn't a rambly answer at all. At all that was very concise. I mean, it was, but I but. think you're right though. Shane. When you're when you're saying about not wanting to see your own story, I think that we're in a society at the moment that's really lacking empathy in a mm. big way, and it's so polarized, and it's actually quite scary. And I think the way you learn to empathise is by watching the stories of other people and seeing that. And I think TV is getting a bit better in that regard, but theatre could do a lot more. And I think the more you see stories of people that you don't necessarily get to meet on a day-to-day basis, the more likely you are to be willing to pay your fucking tax and um, support support, support the systems that support them. And I think, yeah, stories from diverse voices enable empathy in a way that just watching others stories that are regularly programmed all the time don't necessarily that's the power of theatre isn't it that's the like gift of it is that you can go and feel completely connected and you you actually feel it's live and it's happening and you feel it yeah like teaches empathy so it feels criminal that we're that we're missing so many opportunities particularly as Sarah said in this current climate we're missing so many opportunities to actually evoke that empathy in people and make people feel closer and make you, that's the best theatre, isn't it? When you leave and you're like, wow, and you're like, where can I donate? And what can I do? And you're chatting about it in the bar and you, you know, that's the theatre that I love because it changes you in some small way. And it, and it was the way it was because of everyone in that room and that energy. And it's a real experience. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just sad when you just see the same stuff and you think, God, these money people have, the power to to actually evoke and instill change and they're they're not they're just doing the easy thing and casting the same people and it's sad I think it's sad but it's it also starts it starts young as well and when you hear that 
in the schoolroom or in the drama studio at school, we're still looking at Arthur Miller, Eugene O'Neill. We're still looking at Alan Akebourn, and it's still the same. It's still the same middle-aged white people that our young people are absorbing at that age when their minds should be blown because the mm. world is such an enormous, rich, varied place. But we're still being force-fed those stories. And I think it's the I think it's the young, the young, it, 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 that's where it starts. But then, of course, their field of vision is is being made so narrow at the moment. Something I'm asking everyone that's coming on this, with that in mind, is what are you currently reading, listening to, and watching at the moment? Sarah, Sarah you start. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I am. What am I reading? I'm actually reading a- how to do the work. Yeah, I I'm, 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 there's a lot of self-help going on, Shane. Um, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> well, if I'm you're doing, not doing it yourself, who else is going to do it? Seriously. Exactly. I'm doing the artist's way again. I did it a long time ago and I'm doing Same. it again because I've lost my way. Yeah. And um, How are you how going with the morning work? pages? Yeah, it's a challenge with a newborn, but it's happening. I've yeah. got a baby on my boob and sick on my shoulder. And I mean, who cares whether I can read it? Because well, I'm there's three pages it. in itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I'm doing it I'm on day eight. So that's happening. And yeah, yeah how to do work by prof- Oh, I don't want to say her name wrong. Have you got it behind you? Nicole LaPera. Yeah, Dr. Nicole Dr. LaPera. Really good. So that's a bit, but in terms of creative stuff, I'm a member of this um thing called the Rare, Bir- Rare Birds Book Club, which is like a subscription book club. And each month they send you a choice between two books and it's just a description. You don't know what the title is. So you have to guess the one you're going to like the most. And they post you that. And that's been really joyful. Um, But I haven't started this month yet. And then watching Line of Duty. um, How are you going with it? If I'm honest, I totally forgotten what happened before. And I've got a bit of facial blindness. I've quite forgotten what happened before. And I feel like they didn't give us a recap. There was no recap. Tim was like, don't worry, there'll be a recap. And then Tim started pausing it. That's my husband. And he was like, you know, that's the guy that slit the undercover officer's throat in the last season. I was like, the last season was a year ago or something. How do you remember that? But But they're doing stuff from from season one. Mm, Years ago. So what? I I don't know. I don't know what happened last week. It's yeah. I'm a bit lost. Mm. I'm enjoying it, but I'm kind of lost. (laughs) I think I'm missing lots of stuff that I should. And is she a lesbian as well? Because I think I missed that. Kate. Yeah. You mean Kate? Yeah. She hasn't been gay, but um. There, that might there might be that but, I, but again we don't know I'm like I'm like though is Kate now getting back into her AC12 vibes and she's trying to suss this woman out by using a, a sexual, sexual connection so yeah I, I don't know if that's like a double bluff I no, I thought that on the last I thought that on the last the episode two I thought oh okay she's she's trying to get under the skin of the she's Kelly McDonald character it, yeah that's what yeah. I think is happening but we don't know, or it could be true love. Who knows? Who knows? But no, yeah, I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, but mainly, mainly just trying to help myself, Shane. Yeah. In terms of artistic input, I'd like. To, I can't wait to get back out to the theatre. But I think, yeah, I've. I'm not reading that widely at the minute. How about you, Tor? Yeah, my concentration is quite bad. So there's a book I'm. I have to read because the TV company have asked me to read it, but it's quite enjoyable. 
I'd like to tell you, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but it, <laughs> but it's like a kind of, it's sort of chicklity, but it's about diverse people finding love in various guises. And so it's, I'm, I'm really enjoying that element. There's disability and chronic illness and different body shapes and it's, it's really refreshing. So I'm actually really enjoying that. Um, but my concentration is just so foggy that everything's taking me double time. Um, I bought How to Do the Work under Sarah's recommendation. And I also bought Hood Feminism that I'm about to start by Mickey Kendall. And it's Notes from the Women White Feminists Forgot. So I thought that sounded quite cool. So I bought that. And then watching, yeah, I just finished Unforgotten. Don't, 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 say, don't say anything about I it. I've got, the, I've, got the, I've got the last episode tonight. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> you have a nice time. I, um, it is, uh, it's, it's head and shoulders above everything else, that show. I've... I Yeah, I agree. And I was lucky enough to be a small part of it. I was in season three. Um, oh, don't talk to me about went... your character. You made me furious, man. I'm serious. <laughs> I, I just, no, I know. you're lucky we're talking. She mm. did, she went, Chris Lang, the writer, told me she did go, she'll go to prison for about seven years Okay. for that. So she does get a comeuppance. Um, he described her to me in my interview, interview, I've lost it, <laughs> audition. He said, um, she's like a budget Katie Hopkins. That was, that was my note. So um, I was like, wow, I'm really playing against my natural type here, but let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, I was super proud to be a part of that. When I got the audition, I was buzzing because my mum and I had watched um, the first two seasons and loved it. So I was really pleased when I got it. So I feel really proud to have been part of that family. And I do this, this well, just have a nice time tonight. <laughs> if you oh, can. Oh no, stop it. it. <laughs> Seriously, and I can't, I can't. The, the, the thing I've been loving about, and it's, it's also something about Line of Duty as well. I love the fact that they're not just, splurging it on iPlayer and just you know so you can just yeah. binge it all in one night I love the fact that they've gone old school with it and you know you can only watch one episode a week and there's no way you can see anything else so it's yeah really it's made good we need to relearn that I think because yeah. It, yeah it's all too it's that consumerism thing is gross and we just want everything now 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 and it's yeah it's good to make us stop being like that and, and um, you look forward to it a bit as well. Yeah. I, I yeah. got really into drag race this time and I was like, Thursday night, drag race. Yeah. Bring it on. Like, really it's enjoyed a bit it. It's an anchor, isn't it, when you've got yeah. that sort of. Um, and my housemate and I started re watching Sex in the City. Um, and it's really interesting knowing what I know now as, as a, you know, and having been in emotionally abusive relationships and reading tons on narcissism and women who love too much and all of that stuff I'm like wow this is unhealthy in so many ways mm. and no wonder we're all screwed because that mm. I used to watch that at like 15 and think this is an education well no wonder I've made horrific decisions half my life it's <laughs> shocking I'm like Carrie and Big are the most toxic love story I've ever come across in my life and we're all like Mr Big I'm like he's an emotional abuser and so she, and they need to both be locked up. But, you know, so it's, it's actually watching it with that. It's been really interesting to revisit it, but I'm probably a nightmare for my housemate who's just trying to have a nice time. And I'm like, that's emotional abuse. <laughs> He's an artist. <laughs> She's it. So um, bless her for sticking with me through that. But yeah, it's been, that's good for when we need to just, you know. But you not. need that. that. That's necessary. That's stuff that you can just switch off and just 
I mean, obviously, you know, apart from the emotional abuse commentary, but that stuff that you can just switch off and go, do you know what? Yeah. This is garbage, but I'm just going to let it wash over me. Is so I'm finding that so necessary at the moment. A hundred percent. Yeah, because it's a lot. The world is a lot and the world is depressing and it's noisy and it's it really I think we is. are having to do so much work you know against all of this rubbish that we're seeing it's like how do I how do I not get sucked in by that and how do I educate people around me and how do I make the world better in my own small way um so then yeah you need you need to turn off from that and watch trash for a while even if there is emotional abuse hidden woven within it yeah. Now listen, I am just because I'm I'm tight and I haven't upgraded and I've just realized you're only allowed 40 minutes when you've got more 40, than two yeah. people. So can I pause this for a moment and then send yeah. you a new link? Is that all right? Yeah, can't we just click onto the same link? I think we can. You just have can to we? leave and go back, but I think you can. Oh we'll okay. Let's do that. Let's try that. Oh my god! I learn. You you teach me things there every day. Go. I had no idea that 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 works. That's brilliant. Yeah, you just use the same one. So it's really stupid of Zoom. Like, just get over yourselves because it's super easy. <laughs> to do. Well, they did, they did briefly in the. Yeah. I think it was during lockdown one, and then they went all sort of. Wow, well, you're only allowed forty minutes again. Yeah, they gifted you time for a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, now they're like, no. Tor, you mentioned just now about about watching you know trashy tv just to shut out the noise something that i'm asking everyone as well is what are you doing yourself just to quieten that noise for yourself you know as creatives how are you how are you switching things off and going do you know what this is just time for me now just to forget about things just to get on with things what are your noise quieting solutions I think that's I think we should start with Sarah because I think that's really tricky when you've got a three-year-old and a newborn so I'm really actually interested to know what she's going to say yeah yeah totally (laughs) well I am am doing yoga with Adrienne nice um which is like 20 minutes a day and sometimes the baby's just screaming and that's that but I'm sort of ring fencing that time for myself yesterday for the first time since the baby was born I managed to get to Charlton Lido which of you who haven't been is like the most glorious place in the whole of London it's just so great and that was so great and then what else Mm, try and quieten things it is very difficult this house is like I hide a lot um I I lock myself in the toilet quite a lot um (laughs) (laughs) um but in terms of the creativity I'm trying to give myself a break because I think I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself to produce output a lot and I think in coming into the lockdown I had two commissions I was running a company I had the the child number one it was all just a little bit much so I'm trying to where I say I've been blocked and I'm doing the artist way I'm trying to find my creative spirit in other ways so I've got garage band and a book about it and I'm going to be a music producer instead so that's handy so just... for me. You yeah, use my stuff. I thought. So Great. I've taken the sort of pressure off the writing, and I'm trying to find creative input in other ways. I'm listening to albums by people I've never heard of before, and just trying to sort of find my creative spirit without putting pressure on myself to produce a play, if mm. you know what I mean. And I'm hoping that that will fill the well, such that when we are allowed out, something comes. Sounds good. But what are you doing? I think my main thing is like really long walks that just clears my head and makes me feel I always feel like 
I, you know, you walk and you come back better mm. is my sort of feeling. So just being outside calms me down and I will tend to, I've been lucky and I've had a few writing commissions that have, that have kept me going and allowed me to eat. Um, so I have hit a lot of blocks with them though, because, you know, the best way to write is through experience, right? And we're not getting any experience. We're not living our lives. So I'm like, what can I write about? Bar stuff I've already done. You know, that's, I like to get in the world when I'm, when I'm plotting stuff and I can't. So I got really into making playlists. I did a sort of um, online workshop with Anna Jordan and she spoke about starting with playlists and it's become my new thing. And I've got mad into like, as I plot episodes, I go through playlists and I've discovered loads of new music doing it because I'll type in the emotion that the character's feeling. And then I listen to loads of songs and then I make these playlists and I just go on long walks and I just get in, get in the zone. And I always think about loads of things. And I come back and I'm like, right, I've got it. I can write now. So it almost kind of sets me free. Um, but then other days I just like to go on a walk and do absolutely not, like not think creatively at all. Just maybe not even think. I don't know what I'm thinking, <laughs> not much. Um, but walking is definitely my, my saving grace, I think. Did you both see for yourself, think about, you know, the younger versions of yourself. Did you both see for yourself a career or a life in the creative industries? Was it always a, a creative outlet that you were looking for? Or were there any other options that you were exploring beforehand Sarah did I took a weird old route <laughs> what I what was it I don't know what I've <laughs> so I anyway I had this boyfriend and um I just didn't know what I was doing I think at 18 you don't know what you're doing and I had and she was very intelligent she's very intelligent so she had all these a stars so obviously also when you're that sort of student you do get pushed in directions don't you yeah yeah you do and I was sort of rebelling against it and I was like oh my boyfriend's going to Chelsea College of Art I'm just going to move and run away to London and look after him which was a really stupid thing to do and I, <laughs> I would have liked a bit more guidance potentially about what what there was because I remember the what the careers advisor sitting down with that big chunky book of universities and be like what university do you want to go to and I was like I don't know I want to do I, do, I was really into music I played the piano sang I went to youth theatre with Tor and um, but that wasn't on the system. So yeah, it just no. wasn't, it was a different system. So I was like, right. So I ran away to London with my boyfriend and got a job in a blue chip law firm. And they were like, oh, what's going on with your grades? Why are they so good? We'll pay for you to study law. And I was like, all right, then. So I just worked in international arbitration. For <laughs> 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 While studying. And uh then yeah and I had a I had a really difficult relationship with my boss who was um a, she was an American woman and I ended up starting writing about that law firm because it was really weird and that was the sort of content of my first play but after that I went to drama school went to London School of Musical Theatre and did musical theatre mm -hmm. um which wasn't um I wasn't very good if I'm honest at I think you know I you can say I was fine like I was fine but I was never going to be a th it was never going to she was amazing in her final show she blew me away because I've seen her perform loads because we went to youth theatre workshops together as yeah. she said and she did this part that was so not what I'd ever seen her in comedy this like mental nun who was belting her tits off and Sarah's got a beautiful soprano voice but I didn't know she had this other side and she was insanely good but I think it's more that that world has just never been a bit of you like you uh, could have done it you didn't want to do it 
yeah there's it was a mix I love I I still I still like really enjoy music and I just didn't really know where I fitted in the world I think and the writing yeah. just suited me a lot better so but, I you, like, but you liked it more than international arbitration yeah okay, yeah good. I mean well, it was hard not to that's that a nice was... move forward <laughs> I mean even the hours in the law firm like so I remember doing not overnights and carrying on through the next day and like it was absolutely silly but I was I was right by Buckingham Palace it was just it was a bit like a dream and it managed to get my ex-boyfriend through art school and I'm sure he's very happy about that so hooray for him <laughs> <laughs> but yeah then I yeah so went to drum school came out went back I got offered a job in Citibank in structured financial products by an old boss but this old boss really hang hang on after drama school after drama school okay um I did a few little tours and bits and bobs and then I was broke I got stabbed in the head in and lost my job in a pantomime I know she always just and, makes um, that she always delivers it like that Shane I'm sorry she's always <laughs> when it happened so she pulled me and went don't don't now don't panic but I've been stabbed in the head and I was like don't <laughs> panic that's not a thing that you can do, bung into a sentence with I got stabbed in the head yeah so you can't she just slide in that into a conversation what happened what I know well it was a bit, I mean, it was around, the, I'll finish the point because the point was I lost my job in the pantomime and got offered a job in a bank and went and worked in Canary Wharf because I'd lost the job because I had stitches in my head, which were not becoming of Tinkerbell. Child they were like, but, but I got, I basically just got mugged by um, a group of guys on the way home from being out one night in Stockwell. And um, it was a bit, it must've been quite aggressive because they um well, a little bit you got stabbed in the head I know and I'm really sure that I wouldn't have thought I can't really remember a lot about it but I'm sure that if they'd said give me your Nokia 3210 or I'll stab you in the head I would have just given it yeah. um so I don't think I got the offer yeah no. <laughs> what I'm saying oh um God. but then yeah so went and worked in banking carried on writing and then trained in NLP which I still do quite a lot of in coaching and then set up this comedy company and it's just been the winding path basically there have been lots of options Mm. none of them quite right (laughs) (laughs) so there you have it kids there you go (laughs) I'm going to transcribe yeah what you've just told me and that is going to be a careers advice keynote speech that's incredible there you have it I've heard it here first kids Tori yeah. what about you how do you follow that <laughs> well I didn't get stabbed in the head is the good news so but don't worry I'm not going to bung any of that in I yeah I think I always wanted to to be creative but much like Sarah you know careers advice and I always say that I bring this up a lot because I went into them and I was like, you know, I like writing and I like singing and acting, but I was like, I want to sing. I think primarily I wanted to sing and I always wrote lyrics and top lines and stuff, but they were like, oh, you could be a teacher, you know, that kind of, I'm like, okay, where'd you get that from? So I was by GCSEs, I was kind of up and down. Like I did well in the things I liked. I didn't do well in the things I didn't. That's literally how I am as a person, even now. Like I'm like, I'll give it hundred percent if I like it. If I don't, it just can't be asked. So, but then by A levels was like straight A student. I was head girl. Like, I, so they were really pushing me to apply for like Oxbridge and all that shite. Mainly as well because I'm brown. I'm not stupid. I get it. And I remember tearing up my uh, 
what's that thing you have to fill in yeah yeah tore it up they were just pushing on me and I was like no so I just tore it up as like we're not doing it um and I always feel like if someone had said to me then what about like writing for tv or you could go and learn to what I would have done that me too yeah you don't and I know it sounds silly because you're watching tv who did you think wrote it but I just didn't think about it I didn't think about who wrote that stuff and I guess I was thinking it earlier Shane when you said about you know the plays you read at school I think that is like I was thinking as you said it it's it's it it breeds that kind of hierarchy thing where you think it is rich posh old white men that write plays so yeah it was it wasn't in my head that anyone like me would do that so it does annoy me because I think my life could have been really different actually and I think I actually would have gone and done that and gone to uni and learned to write for tv and film but we move and I wouldn't change anything because you know I like a lot of things about my life. So yeah, I started off, uh, I ended up not going to university because I didn't have anything I wanted to do enough. I come from a single parent family. I was like, I'm not gonna rinse my mum for money she doesn't have when I'm not passionate. And I had a nice life so I could still, you know, I went out and partied. I was like, I don't need to, that's a very expensive freshers week, you know, because that would be why I was going. <laughs> and then um, I was working with a management company on on music, got locked into a contract with them because I said I wanted to write. I didn't really dig their songs. I wanted to write. So I realised I wasn't as shallow as I thought because it wasn't just about being famous for me. It was about actually connecting with what I was singing. Got offered a like development deal with Universal or something. But yeah, we said no to all of that. And then I wanted to write more and they clamped down. So I got locked into that contract because I didn't sign Terminate by Mutual Agreement. That's something I learned to always do that, kids. And then my mum was like, well, nobody could stop you doing theatre and enrolled me on this little two-week summer course. And I'd always, my school teachers had always been like, go to drama school. And my grandparents and my mum had said, go to drama school. But I genuinely didn't think I'd get in. I've never been confident. So I was like, nah, I'm crap, I won't get in. And then I sort of, yeah, accidentally fell into theatre, did some tours, did lots of backing vocal stuff. That That's literally been my life. Set up Interval, this, this um, the first theatre company, which for me was about giving opportunities to people because I saw a lot of like, you'll be great, but you need more experience. But it's like, well, how do you get experience if, you know? So did that and Sarah got involved with that and we ran that together. And then literally just started writing my own stuff the first thing we wrote the first thing I wrote was with Sarah got put up for an Offie nomination then I was like quite like this writing thing might be good at it did courses where I could kept on writing then someone came and saw that and I got my tv gig off the back of that so like it's I'm literally the poster girl for just show up and work hard and be nice to people and just if it feels good keep doing it and if it doesn't run away um so much like Sarah things have been quite accidental but I always, to answer your actual question, because we've gone around the houses, I've always wanted to do something creative. And I don't think for me, I just don't know that my brain works in another way. Like even when I work retail jobs, my mum would be like, just get on with it and sort your life out. But there were days I'd wake up and want to cry because I just felt, it felt like oh, I can't face people today and, I do, and I'm crap at this. And I, it's really weird. I'm just not because it can sound like you're an egomaniac. Like I don't, I can't work a shop job, but it's like literally it gives me anxiety. It's mental. Mm. But I think my brain just, I'm better in a room where I'm, I don't know, collaborating with people and making stuff happen and getting in people's heads. And 
I just I, I, I get far too anxious in other environments. <laughs> but there's a lot to be said for really embracing where your gut takes you or what your heart is telling you. And yeah. there's also a lot to be said for not forcing paths on people, particularly when they're younger, that they just simply don't want to you know, travel down. But that mm. sense of really embracing something because your gut is telling you i just I, I just fucking love this or your heart's in it and you just want to surround yourself with people and that that goes for any industry whether it's international arbitration or theater yeah. you know that it's got to be it's got to be led by the heart and the gut uh, and I, I think there is a lot to be said for that and i think that's often either forgotten about or ignored actually just about at any stage whether you're 16 or, or 56 that you can often be overlooked simply because you don't have your heart set on what you're doing who are your touchstones at the moment who are the people that you look to or you look to advice from for both of you where are you where are you looking at the moment as creatives to fire that inspiration or to fire that passion that you have for what you do Hmm. as in sort of role models yeah role models people who inspire you um you know fellow creatives that you just think you know what they've got it going on they've they've really got it down at the moment and it, it may just give you that extra impetus to to move forward that you might not have had beforehand mm, well tor she's my inspiration Aww. yeah but you've got to say that <laughs> she doesn't i don't she doesn't and she wouldn't i've known her <laughs> over 20 years like I, I that means a lot to me because you can't force stuff out sarah she no. would not say that if she didn't <laughs> Can't lie. Also, it's testament to your relationship as well that 20 years later you're still here, you're still creating, and that's going to be another at least another 20 years into the future as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I think it's that thing where we've got each other's back, and we're often um one when one's down, the other one's up, and it yeah, often works, works like that. So mm. we so at the moment, um, where I've been quite blocked, Tori's been quite unblocked, I feel, and um absolutely smashing her life, and that is quite inspirational. And then people like Morgan Lloyd Malcolm, like whenever I feel like I might give up, I read that final speech of Amelia and I'm like, okay. How can you not? I'm just angry. I'm just angry with everything and I need to channel that. So I think she's amazing. And then I've got, there are a few sort of people in the industry who I think like Tara, who works on Burnbright as well, who's absolutely amazing. And she sort of holds your hand and keeps you Tara's moving. Yeah. And um there's another lovely lady called Helena at Hartswood Films who took a punt on something I'd written a while back and she's always like endlessly supportive. And I think you've now I'm learning. I mean, I'm 37 and I'm finally, I just, I do look at my 20s. I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? I don't, I genuinely don't know what I'm doing. But now I'm like, oh, it would be helpful to have people who encourage me around me. Yeah. Maybe I should put together a little squad. And I think I'm, I think I'm forming it now. And, um, if it's amazing but I'm just like what there's a decade that's just what the fuck was that but I guess me and Tor we were learning and we were growing and we were you know we set up that company and you know there was a lot going on but yeah there's a there I've got a really nice little team of lovely people now I think who I can draw on but Tor's definitely my inspiration of the day yeah I feel the same I, as you were saying it I was like it, it is it is the people around me, mainly the women around me. Sarah, of course, is one, and I don't, I don't think I'd still be going if I 
if I didn't have Sarah in my life and I don't think, well, Burn Bright would, we've both said, if we'd have been through that experience as a solo writer, we would have stopped. That would have just killed us and just taken us out. But because we had each other and because she's my best friend in the whole world and it's always, we love working together, but it will always be friendship first and it will always be lifting each other up first. That's That was the driver. So it was the rage for each other that got us through. It's like, no, we can't take this and we can't. So yeah, I mean, it, I, that always, that does become your biggest inspiration because that's your rock and that's that's who you always turn to and who you'll always trust and who you'll always want to win. So like, also I know Sarah's having her moment at the moment where she's like not feeling particularly inspired, but I'm so excited for the way it's gonna blow when she's ready and I know it's coming. So that will be the proudest moment of my life, <laughs> watching her smash it. And I do, I always say that, I feel sorry for people that are egotistical and like can't feel joy for other people because my favorite thing is seeing my mate smash it. Like I just cry. I went to see my friend Tash Barnes in Funny Girl when she was covering for Sheridan Smith and the overture started and I was sobbing. She hadn't even opened her mouth, but I was just like, I'd sat in bars with her where we both cried and been like, what, we, what are we doing? And then you have these moments with the people around you who had the strength to get up again and go another time. And then you watch them kill it. And that is my biggest inspiration because I'm like, we are capable and it is in us and you're not your darkest days. So it, it is it is my friends, number one. And Morganoid, Malcolm, as Sarah said, exactly the same. That That's why Burn Bright's called Burn Bright. It's a nod to her play because that show definitely kept us going at a time in the tree stuff where we wanted to just stop. And then I do look to, you know, in terms of people I don't know, I do look to artists like Makeda Cold, yeah. Daisy May Cooper, Susan Wacoma, who are kind of just like, even their social media accounts, they're just, they're doing their own thing. Well, Makeda Cole doesn't have one, which is Ultimate Calling, which is where I'd like to get to. Yeah. Um, but they're just leading with the things that they're passionate about, that they care about. They're not colouring inside the lines. They're, it's yeah I it, it's that those women inspire me like reading that Michaela Cole turned down that million pound yes. deal with Netflix to keep the rights and the way she shared that chewing gum document with all the notes from the editors in and I like that's how you change the world that's how you change things for people coming after you that's how you educate you know being able to download that document and see the help she got and being transparent about that that's that's what I look to and I think it's worth fighting harder for longer to stand amongst women like them than taking the easy thing that, yeah, you might elevate yourself quicker or get more money quicker, but are you standing on the right side of, you know, when you look back in years to come, were you a trailblazer or did you do the easy thing? So I'm inspired by trailblazers and I'm inspired by people who aren't afraid to have a shit moment, but get themselves back up because that's living. With that in mind, where do you go to next? What is it that you two see with Burn Bright for, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm asking for your five-year plan or something, but where do you see yourself going with Burn Bright to build on what you've already created? I think in a dream world, we would be a fully funded organisation. That would help a lot. Um, nice. We had an arts council application in and didn't get it and I think we we both feel a bit like mm, that's not surely this is what we should be championing so we're trying again for that and I think we would like to have the funding to do what we've done to 
exponentially so mm. just to really really support um women writers and I think that's from like even looking back over the mistakes and sort of things I didn't know I didn't know over the time and creating like retreats or 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 mentoring partnerships yeah. that last a bit longer with young young women writers and um just really developing those opportunities such that those writers don't have to pay um that's my favorite thing about the time bank is that you know it's free you can get access to someone quite high up in the business for a chat for an hour and it's no I mean I think the red tape in this industry is part of what puts off a lot of people I mean even doing an arts council form just it takes a special kind of determination and a special kind of person to do and that. And a skill set that not every creative person yeah. has. Like. I mean, very few do. We've had to mm. really, like, force ourselves to have it. And I think, so I think what we want to do is, like, smash down all those barriers and create opportunities and programmes for women writers and platforms for their work that help erase some of the winding path that we've both had to take because we haven't necessarily had friends in the business or like mm-hmm. the um you know the old boys network to rely on so it's about doing what we're doing in a much bigger way and funded yeah yeah definitely I do completely what Sarah said and I think for me I've always because I come I, I just love putting on a show I just love live stuff so I think I would love to have an arm that's like, again, fully funded, but where we, it doesn't have to be mental. Like I've done in the past where I'm like, we're putting on four shows this year. Cause that will actually give Sarah heart palpitations. But I would love, you know, if we did a, a we programmed a production a year that was a new women identifying voice and, you know, and a really diverse cast. And I would just, I'd love that. And I'd, I'd love us to become known for that side as well. Um, but definitely a bit of funding and help because that has been a blow and we're definitely at that stage now where it's like unless we get some funding we can't continue because also you don't we do pay everybody that that we commission and all of the actors and we're so grateful for all of the time people have given to the time bank and everything but there's only again there's only so long you can operate on favors and there's only you know so long you can well, we'd, we're at that point now. So funding is is key. Um, <laughs> and then the opportunities feel endless because when I think what we've achieved with not very much and how it's become so much bigger than we thought it would, imagine how big it could become if we had funding. And I think one thing, again, to, to touch on what you were saying earlier about, you know, what, what you kind of learn doing it this way, Tara, Finney, who we run it with, and I were having a, big chat the other night about our connect events and how somehow zooms made it feel less them and us because when you go normally that would be a panel event and you'd have a stage and everyone would come out and have their mics and it does feel a bit separate and we were like we don't want to do that let's always keep panel events kind of in the room yeah and that's you know and then the three of us have been thinking about that and how we do and how we stop as Sarah said that red tape and that kind of separation and that's really exciting to think about that as well, that every Burn Bright event you come to just feels like a big, safe space with a bunch of decent, nice people in who are approachable and who are going through the same shit. Because we do, we're human. And there's so much that, especially in theatre, isn't it? Like, I dread a press night because I'm like, everyone's on. 
And I literally, I used to, I used to be an off West End assessor, but I stood down because I wasn't happy with something racial. But I, I would go to the press nights, run in, and literally run out. And I'm like in that industry, I shouldn't feel like that, but I would be terrified that someone would say, "What are you doing now?" or "What are you?" And I couldn't take it. Oh, I couldn't do it. And I don't want Burnbright to ever be that. And I know it won't be. And that excites me. I hate it. I'm in the corner of the bar hiding. Yeah. I, I just, I love it. It is my, but that thing of, well, what are you doing now? Well, the dreaded question, what are you doing next? Well, actually I'm doing this now. Yeah. That's what matters. And yeah. can't we talk about that? You know, and yeah. also can we not just be on? Can we just be human? Yeah. Um, just if I'd love it, if someone was like, I've had a shit day today at press night, but no one would ever, <laughs> they're like, I'm doing this, talking to this person over there. Have you seen them over there? Neck working, craning their necks to see behind, you know, who's behind you. Like, yeah. and I love that Burnbright's just sort of like people come as they are. And I yeah. feel like we've seen that start to be created the same some of the same women come every time, then there'll be newbies, but everyone's friendly and the time banks, I'll just see it on my feed. People like had a great time bank session with so-and-so feel really inspired. And I'm like, God, we did that in some small way, but we actually also had nothing to do with it because it's just happened and that's it. And that's how it should be. It's that the doors just being opened and being able to facilitate that in any way is amazing. So to think if that was funded and fully happening. I mean, I want the office where we can go in and we've got our wicked people working there and this is happening and that's how, I just want it to become this entity that's just flying and loads of people are benefiting off it. That's that's so exciting to me because we never had that. One other thing that I'm doing with this podcast is that I'm running a playlist alongside it and everyone who's coming on is contributing two tracks for that playlist. Uh, so over the period of the first season, there is just wild diverse playlist that's uh, evolving so my question to you both is what two oh. tracks would you add and this is the amazing thing about talking to two people on one podcast is that i get to add four tracks which four. is amazing putting us on yeah, the spot yeah, well you know think come on you're creative i haven't really okay. put, I've, I've made it easy for you so far i'll go first because yeah. i'm giving i know sarah's looking at her phone now trying to find stuff <laughs> so my i think my favorite song Obviously, I don't have a favourite song because that's mental. You need different mm. songs, different things. That's However, impossible. when I'm forced, I always pick Misty by Donny Hathaway. Yeah. Because I just think it's perfection in terms of the musicianship and his vocal. I just love it. takes me somewhere. So that. And then I'm going to say Squares by Raleigh Ritchie, who I think is an amazing artist. And that if for anybody who feels like they don't fit a box and yeah and a bit stuck and a bit it's just such a lovely uplifting yeah let's be squares in a round world is the is the ethos so i we are squares in a round world so come and join the square party that's cute that's cute i don't know well have you got one to start with Either um, that or, or or you can just look at what you've been playing recently and look at the last yeah, two tracks. Just, that's what it. I'm doing. So I'm listening to a woman called Hope Taller at the moment. She's got, yeah, okay, This it's a really nice vibe. It's called Love Stained. Go with that. Yeah. It's a, it's just, she's got a nice sort of um, sunny, happy vibe. And then I just booked tickets this morning to see Ocean Wisdom, who's like a a really fast grime artist rapper but i don't Put know that what on it sort of vibe you want i'm i'm happy no it, it my my vibe is your vibe so diversity <laughs> yeah we want a diverse playlist yeah. right so whack that on there he raps faster than eminem who has the world record 
this guy should have the world record then. Or he, yeah, he is it world record or just record for a song? And he goes 4.31 words per second in that tune. What? I can't even compute that. Check it out. <laughs> like it must, can you understand him? Yeah. Wow. I'm That's what I like. like. It's very um, clear. Lovely. Thank you so much for joining us for episode four of The Composite Mind and a huge thanks once again to Tori Allen Martin and Sarah Henley and all at Burn Bright for that wonderful episode and that great chat. Now, you can head over to www.roughhousetheatre.com just to have a delve into the back catalogue of The Composite Mind. You can also support us at www.ko-fi.com forward slash the composite mind by buying us a coffee we look forward to seeing you for the next episode of the composite mind and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts from Music.